I forget what it's called. It's escaping me. Like Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin. Is that what it's called? Is that the title of it? Is that Halloween special? Is it called that? It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Thank you, Kristen. <laughs> that was gone from my brain all of a sudden. So you know how they have these Halloween specials? Uh, they just had a Marvel one on Disney Plus called Werewolf by Night. You know, they have, um, they have Christmas specials and all that kind of stuff on TV. Um, this, is, this is my version of a Halloween special this morning. Yeah. Our scripture this morning is uh, Luke 8, verses 26 through 39. You'll find it on the screen behind me. If you've got it with you, read along. You'll find it on the screen in front of you. Luke 8, uh, starting at verse 26 before we read. Let's pray together. God, thank you uh, for... Thank you for this book. Um, for how these stories... Um, are just so interesting and fascinating. Sometimes they, they confuse us. Uh, and yet, by the presence of your Spirit and the power of your Spirit, you, you help us to, to see things. You help us to see things in ourselves. You help us to see things in the world. You call us to something new. You call us to something greater. You call us to something deeper. And it's because of your voice. So we pray that we would hear your voice this morning. Spirit, do whatever it is that you do to, uh, to make that happen. Prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is with his disciples, and they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Uh, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from that town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they 
were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the, re- in the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home. Tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. We'll go that far. Yeah. Weird weird story, anyone? So it's October 30, which means that tomorrow is one of the weirdest uh, most fascinating, and yet also really fun uh, holidays of the year. It is tomorrow, Halloween. Does anybody have trick-or-treating plans? Anyone? Anyone going to go trick-or-treating? Yeah? Uh, how about costumes? Do you have your costumes picked out? Does anyone, it's okay for adults to wear costumes too. I see lots of kids raising their hands. Anybody want to share what costume they're going to wear? Anyone want to share? Marshall, Paw Patrol, are you impressed that I knew what that was? <laughs> Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, be there. Jack, Tiger Woods, brilliant. I love it. Anyone else want to share? You don't have to. Any adults getting into the fun? Yeah, gorilla. a gorilla. That's awesome. I love it. I would tell you what we're, what we're going to do, but it's, it's a secret. Like you, maybe you'll have to look tomorrow in our neighborhood or see some pictures, pictures on, on Facebook, but it's just good, good, wholesome pastor's family fun. <laughs> but I will tell you, I will tell you that, um, that we have embraced the dark side before. Our kids have gone as, gone as uh, Kylo Ren one year, Darth Vader, notorious you know, murderers, so we've, we've sort of embraced that before, too. Uh, but Halloween's just fun, right? I love it. So many things about Halloween are, are fun for me. Uh, this is also the season where people watch horror films on purpose. Uh, do we have any horror film fans here? Any horror? It's okay to admit it if you like horror. F- Thank you for being honest. The rest of you, I like that, Gray. So... Horror films. At least we're aware of the genre. We're aware of horror. Let's just for fun name some of the most famous horror film characters uh, throughout at least our history, American history. Anyone want to name a famous horror film? Jason. Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th, right? Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. You're naming all the ones I have written down here. Anyone else? Mike Myers. Literally the order in which I have them written down. (laughs) Jason, Freddy, Mike Myers, Chucky, anyone from Child's Play? Okay, famous horror films. For some reason, people love them. Uh, I've seen two horror films, right? And here, anyone seen the original Candyman? It was about 20... (laughs) 
Ask Renee to tell you that story. That's for when we were dating. Um, she loves that movie. Anyway. <laughs> oh, it's actually a good movie. I'm not a horror film fan. I've seen two. So I, still, to this day, I, it freaks me out. You, you stand in front of the mirror and you say Candyman's name three times and he suddenly shows up behind you with a hook of a hand and it's bloody and gory and you don't make it. You, it's gross. It's scary, but it's also kind of a deep movie, and it's, it's a fascinating movie to watch. Anyway, um, if you're into that sort of thing, I recommend that one to you. Um, how about The Blair Witch Project? Anybody seen that one? Oh, my goodness. When that first came out, I remember going to see it. I think I first saw that with my cousin Josh. I believe that's who I saw it with. Anyway, I remember us walking out of the theater and it was like, it was filmed from the perspective of these high school kids running around the forest with the VHS camera. So it was like their point of view. And at the time it was something new and different. Nobody had done anything like that before. And people walked out of the theater, including me and my cousin. And we thought to ourselves, was that real? Like, did they actually, did that actually happen? People died and they put that in film and they released it? Like, people in our culture were literally asking that question. It was freaky. I remember that. The reason I bring all of this up is because that story we read just a few moments ago kind of sounds like a horror film, at least the, the beginnings of a horror film or, or the premise of a horror film, doesn't it? I mean, let's just, it's spooky, so let's just walk a little bit through the story, and I'm going to retell it, and let's sort, of, let's sort of think about this a little bit. So here's this guy. He stalks the edge of town in the place of the dead. The people in town can hear his shrieking, his moaning, these blood-curdling cries from among the tombs. They'd been lucky before. They'd caught him. They shackled his wrists and his ankles. They put chains between them. They'd been lucky before. They had imprisoned him, but now, no, no, he was free because no, no prison could hold this kind of crazy, and they could, they could sort of hear the chains jangling behind him as he, as he made his escape. He got away every time, and now he wanders the cemetery naked. And he, he rips and tears at his skin until he bleeds. If he has a name, no one knows it. If he has a history, nobody remembers it. Scary, spooky, dangerous, unknown, an outcast stalking the edge of town. Sounds like a horror film, doesn't it? Sounds exactly like a horror film. At least until Jesus shows up. Now, I think it's, a, it's important for us to stop at this moment, uh, at this point, and just acknowledge that there are some things about this story that sort of make it hard for us to understand, that there are things about this story that, that make it hard for us to say, yeah, this story is my story. I can totally see myself in that story. I mean, here we have demons that talk. Demons that talk. And not only can they possess human beings, but they can also possess pigs. There's an immediate healing. There's an instantaneous healing an exorcism of all things. 
When is the last time we, any of us here in this room, have attended an exorcism? Anybody remember the last time you were there for, for an exorcism? Culturally speaking, there are things about this story that make it feel like it's so far removed from our reality that it causes us to ask all sorts of different questions. Like, were these demons actually real, or was he suffering from what we might call mental illness? I mean, this is an old story, like 2,000 years old. We've learned so much. We're so much more sophisticated. So we understand that this is just really mental illness, not demons. Well, if we go to that place, we immediately then ask the question, is it dangerous to associate uh, dangerous psychological conditions with demonic activity or evil in general? Like, is that a thing that we can do? Or is that, is that somehow dangerous and inappropriate? Right? If, these, if these demons were real, why does Jesus seem to negotiate with them? I mean, they say to Jesus at first, don't torture us. Clearly, they're afraid of Jesus. Just let us go into the pigs instead. And Jesus, why does he show these demonic things? Why does he show them mercy? He's like, okay, I'm not going to torture you. Just go ahead and go into the pigs. Why does he negotiate? Why does he show them mercy? And then once they go into the pigs, the pigs run down the hill and they run into the lake and they're drowned. They die. So we ask ourselves the question, what about the pigs? What were the pigs doing? They didn't do anything wrong. They were just being pigs. They were doing piggy things. Maybe they were rolling around in the mud. This is stereotypical pig pig talk, right? They're just rolling around in the mud and eating whatever you put in front of them and blah, blah, right? Did I get that right? Stereotypical pig stuff, right? What about the pigs? Doesn't Jesus care? Doesn't Jesus care about creation? Why would he allow that? And what about the pig owners? What about the pig owners? Am I right? They just watched their entire livelihood run down a hill and die in a lake. Doesn't Jesus care about them? How are they going to make ends meet? How are these people going to survive? Maybe Jesus doesn't care about the pigs because they're unclean, they're not very clean. All those questions are good questions. But I'm going to step around those questions or not, because we could spend the rest of our time answering all those questions, and we might come up with some fun answers, some fun speculation. But I think that if we do that, if we spend, if we spend time on all those different questions, then I think we might miss some of the very real places where we might actually be able to enter into this story and say, yeah, I can see myself in this story. Here I am. It's a weird story. Where do we start? Where do we start really digging into this story? Well, I think we start where I think we start with Jesus' question. Because I think Jesus' question is infinitely better than all those questions I just named, all those questions that immediately come to mind. What, what is your name? He says. He looks at the guy straight in the eyes and he says, What? What is your name? Remember, the man comes up to him, doesn't even ask for help. He's not there to ask for help. He's there to push Jesus away. He's there to maybe even scare Jesus away. I imagine the man's approach as being ferocious and wild. 
Maybe he's growling and foaming at the mouth. We're not sure, but it's ferocious and it's wild. And yet, despite the ugliness before him, Jesus looks at this man with compassion and love in his eyes, and he asks him the question, what is your name? Who are you really? What is your name? It's like, it's almost as if Jesus is trying to to recall this man to himself. It's like Jesus is trying to recall this man and help him get in touch with his humanity. Here he is acting like an animal. He's recalling the man to his humanity. What a loving question that is. What is your name? I see all this other stuff that the world sees as intimidating and scary and, and gross. I see all of that. But what is your name? What would it be like for each of us to just stop for a moment and, ask the, and, and, and allow the divine to ask us that question? What is your name? Who are you really? Who are you really deep down beneath all of the labels and expectations this world places on you deep down? Deep down beneath all of the things that possess you. Deep down beneath all of your fear. Deep down beneath all of your shame. Who are you really? Who were you created to be? Hold that question. Maybe put it in your pocket. We'll take it out and talk about it later. The man says legion. Because a great many demons had gone into him. Legion. Because a great many demons had gone into him. I think this story, I think it sort of unveils a hard truth about the human condition. My name is Legion, a vast host, a great multitude. In other words, the sources of this man's anguish, his torment, his anxiety, his brokenness, the sources behind all of that are many. An incalculable swarm. The assault on his mind, his body, his soul, his spirit are coming from all sorts of different directions, different places, and they have taken possession of him. He doesn't even know who he is anymore. And maybe it doesn't really matter how precise we are in defining the word demons. Maybe it doesn't matter what kind of language we use, whether it's theological or psychological or anthropological or any other sort of language, other than to say that there anything that takes away this man's dignity, anything that, that strips away his ability to act on his own behalf, It's anything that sort of keeps him isolated inside of himself, away from community, away from God, and away from other people. Here's the thing, here's what I think. I think the truth is that we all wrestle with legion. We all wrestle with legion. We're all vulnerable to to forces outside of ourselves that want to possess us 
that want to, to take away our identity and separate us from God and other people. Think about it. Some of us suffer from things like, like depression and anxiety. Some of us are addicted to all sorts of different things. Wealth, sex, alcohol, how we look. Some of us are, are slaves to these little pocket computers that we hold, carry around with us everywhere we go, slaves to social media, slaves to the internet. We're caught up in things like dishonesty. We can't even tell the truth to ourselves, much less the people who are around us. We're obsessed with our need to always be right, to always have certainty, to always have the right answers, obsessed with our own righteousness, our own goodness, because if we're good, then we can label other people as bad. Some of us carry around with us all sorts of traumatic memories, and we just don't know what to do with them. There are many in this world who suffer under things outside of themselves called systemic injustice. Right? Many of us in this world for whom their skin color, their gender, their sexuality seem to be tractor beams for other people's hatred. People in this world, people in this world who know they aren't welcome and they aren't affirmed, even though they're told all are welcome here. And all of us are infected with whatever it was that, that made Paul write these words. What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that's the thing I do. What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Legion. Oh, gosh. It's an incalculable swarm. It's anything that tries to possess us and keep us dead inside when God wants us fully alive. Legion. It's anything that that tries to take away our true identity and keep us isolated from God and other people. If that's what legion really is, then this isn't some ancient, weird, little spooky story written 2,000 years ago that doesn't mean anything today. If that's what legion really means, then this is your story. This is my story. If that's what legion is, then this is the story of humanity. But this story isn't done yet. We've just sort of begun. It's not over yet. And if this story that we're reading this morning isn't over yet, then, then maybe my story isn't over and maybe your story isn't over and maybe, maybe the story of humanity isn't over yet because this story also reveals to us where we get our freedom. When the man approaches Jesus, he cried out and fell at the feet of Jesus. When the townspeople come, they rush in to try to figure out what all the fuss is about. Where do they find him? They find the man from whom the demons had gone out at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. Story tells us two times he's at the feet of Jesus. Repetition is on purpose. He's at the feet of Jesus. Freedom. We might even call it healing 
or we'll go one step further, salvation, freedom, salvation, healing. Those words in the Greek are sort of interchangeable. Freedom, healing, we might even say salvation, are at the feet of Jesus. Freedom, healing, salvation is in the surrendering of oneself to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who has the power and authority to free us from all that possesses us. Why? Because all of those things that seek to possess us, they fear Jesus, beg him to leave them alone, can't stand to be in the same room as Jesus. They fear the ways of Jesus, love, mercy, healing, forgiveness, grace. They fear all of those things because that kind of vulnerability strips them of their power. Because you place all of those things that seek to possess us next to Jesus and his ways, love, grace, healing, forgiveness. It exposes those things for what they really are, evil, and they don't belong and they know it, so they fear it and they want to leave. It strips them from all of their power. Freedom is in surrendering to Jesus. Now, I am fully aware that that's the Sunday school answer. Oh, the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. Fully aware of that. It doesn't make it any less true, and it doesn't make it easy, and it doesn't negate the fact that this is really, really hard. This is really, really difficult. Difficult, I think, for two reasons. There must be more. But first... Sometimes we do experience instantaneous healing. It's like a rush of, oh my goodness, that thing that I've been struggling with is gone, and now I have some newness living inside of me. Sometimes we experience instantaneous healing, but more often than not, the healing we seek, the freedom we desire, comes after a long period of time and takes a lot of hard work and movement on our part. Surrendering at the feet of Jesus, that's not easy. What does surrendering at the feet of Jesus look like for you? What does it look like? Maybe it takes other people in your life, a community of people. Maybe it takes a therapist to help you work through. What does surrendering at the feet of Jesus look like for you? What are the next steps for you? What is the next movement for you? If that's where freedom is found, if that's where salvation in the here and now, the present is found, what's the next step? It's hard. Second reason I think this is difficult is because we live in this sort of like in-between weird, in-between time. It's this weird in-between time, and the scriptures talk about this, theologians talk about this as the already but not yet vague and weird way to talk about this. But the scripture tells us that, that Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has the power of resurrection and new life. 
The scriptures tell us that, that Jesus has the power over demons and over evil and over all the things that, that seek to possess us and separate us from God and other people. The scriptures tell us that God is making all things new, but the scriptures also tell us that God's not done yet. We're not there yet. The struggle is real. But that doesn't mean that this story isn't true. It doesn't mean that it can't be true for you, that it can't be true for me, and that it can't be true for the rest of the world. In fact, I think this story can serve to give us hope. To give us hope that salvation can come here and now. That healing and freedom can come here and now in the present. A hope that is grounded in what Jesus has already accomplished and what will accomplish in the future. I mean, we can surrender to Jesus and his ways, but here's the thing. We don't have to. We don't have to. I don't think God's in the business of forcing this to happen. This story is an invitation to surrender, but we don't have to. What about the rest of the people in the story? I find this fascinating. They just witnessed what we might call a miracle, what they certainly would have called a divine intervention, a miracle. The spooky man gets his life back. He's sitting there, dressed in his right mind. His true identity has now been reclaimed. And the people don't respond in amazement. They're not like, woohoo, Jesus, come into town. And they throw a party and show him hospitality and separate and celebrate. They respond with fear. They're afraid. They see this miracle happen and they're afraid. Why would they be afraid? Oh my goodness, what a great question. Why are these people afraid? Well, maybe it's easier to stick with the demons we know, I've heard this saying before, rather than experience the freedom that we don't know. Maybe it's easier to stick with a way of life we know rather than to let go of that and adventure, adventure into something new, unfamiliar territory. Maybe we need somebody else to be bad. Somebody else to embody evil so that we can be good or at least think of ourselves as good. Then we can sort of go on living our lives the way we're living them without ever even considering thinking differently or believing different things or maybe even behaving in any different ways because at least we're not like those people. I mean, there must be a bunch of other different reasons why people are afraid to surrender to Jesus. But I don't want to think about any of that anymore. I want us to go back to that original question. That question that Jesus asked, because I think it's pivotal. I think it's the most important question, at least this morning, we can ask. We started with it, now I want us to end with it. When is the last time any of us allowed the divine to ask us that question? Who are you, really? So we're going to go through an exercise right now. And if you're uncomfortable with this in a group setting, that's okay. 
maybe do it later. Just pull it up on Facebook and do it later. Find a place where you can be alone. But I'm going to invite you to, I'm going to, invite you to just sit there, sort of sit up straight. I invite you to close your eyes. I invite you to put your hands on your knees. I invite you to put them palms up so that you're in a posture that's open. So now that your eyes are closed, I'd like you to just listen to the silence. Way to breathe in deeply and breathe out. Imagine Jesus walking up to you right now in this moment with compassion and love in his eyes. He sees you for who you've become. He sees all the different things that have come to possess you. He sees all of those outside forces that have shaped your identity and have tried to tell you who you really are. He sees all of those things and with compassion and love in his eyes, he asks you the question, who are you really? You've been made in the image of God. The divine knit you together, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Reclaim who you were meant to be. Be free from all those things that seek to possess you. Reclaim your original goodness. Pay attention to the Spirit and allow new fruit to grow in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control, that's who you were meant to be. That's who you were created to be. That's who you really are. Embrace it. You are so good. I like how the story ends. Because it's surprising. I like surprise endings. This guy wants to follow Jesus. He wants desperately to follow Jesus. Who wouldn't after what he just experienced? He wants to follow Jesus. He's like, I'm, I'm along for the ride. Let's go. And Jesus says, nope. 
What? Like, here's another person, one to Jesus. Let's go. Like, doesn't Jesus want followers? Yeah. And yet, Jesus' commission to this guy was this. Now that you've surrendered your life to me, go live that out in your own neighborhood. Now that you've reclaimed your original identity, who you were meant to be, who God wants you to be, go live that out right where you are. Jesus trusted this guy who just moments before was a wreck, an animal-like person. Jesus now trusts this guy, puts his trust in this guy, trusted that this guy and the new fruit that is now bearing fruit in his life would transform things right where he is, right where he is, would make things better just because he's there. Well, you know, maybe, maybe we could do the same thing. Maybe we as a community Maybe we could do that too. Let's pray.